This is Policy, Guns and Money, the Aspie podcast, with me, Olivia Nelson. In September this year, Australia announced it would join a new security pact, AUKUS, with the UK and the US, as well as its plans to acquire nuclear-powered submarines. In this special episode, Michael Shoebridge speaks to Andrew Nichols and Dr Marcus Hellyer about their new report, Implementing Australia's Nuclear Submarine Program. Well, it's fantastic to have this opportunity to talk uh, with two of the authors of a big new ASPE report around the creation of an Australian nuclear submarine capability. So I'm joined today by Marcus Hellyer from ASPE and Andrew Nichols, who with Jackson Dowie have authored a report that sets out the fundamental issues that have to be resolved uh, in the decision-making and implementation that will give Australia nuclear-powered submarines. So let me first uh, welcome both of you here. And I thought I'd start by uh, just uh, when I read the report, it seemed to me you think there's a different primary defining question to what a lot of the public discussion on the Australian Nuclear Submarine Program uh, says is the big decision. If you if you read a lot of the public discussion, it'd be a beauty pageant between the UK astute nuclear submarine or the US Virginia-class submarine. But I think your report channels Bill Clinton with his line of, it's the economy, stupid. And you really say, it's the strategic partner, stupid. So can you just uh, tell us why you think the defining choice is which is the primary partner? Thanks, Michael. Uh, yeah, this, I mean, this report has been a lot of work, um, but um, it's really been great working with Andrew and Jackson on it. And I think we've produced something pretty good. So as you say, what we're really trying to do is elevate the discussion from this focus on, on which submarine to say, yeah, it's not really about the submarine. Obviously, you can't have a nuclear submarine capability without a submarine, sure. But the, the big question and what we're really trying to do is set out the questions or, or the solution space for the government, you know, on, on a whole range of issues. And, and the most important one is really who's the strategic partner? So who are you going to work with? Obviously, we'll need to work with both the UK and the US, regardless of who the main partner is. But we need to choose a strategic partner who has the capacity to help us on this journey, which is really going to be probably the biggest, most difficult, most demanding enterprise that Australia has undertaken. And to do that, we need a partner with the technological uh, capabilities with the, and importantly, with the industrial capacity to help us and with the ability for us to essentially help us lift our game so we can generate the workforce, so we can generate the skills, and we can generate both the safety and regulatory systems we need to operate this capability. And they also need to have the capacity so that their own capability doesn't suffer. You know, this is part of AUKUS. It's meant to be a net win for everybody. So Mm. that partner needs to be able to help us without diminishing their own capability. Yes, that sort of help me to help you idea. And on that scale of the enterprise, you know, the report says this is probably the biggest undertaking that Australia has embarked on. People said that about the attack class program before, but there's one part of your report that makes this very graphic and clear, and that's your discussion of how much work and expense there is in 
maintaining a Virginia-class submarine in comparison, say, with building an at attack and maintaining the columns. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, well, a, a nuclear submarine is probably, the one we end up getting is probably going to be about three times the size of a Collins-class submarine. And so when you look at the workforce involved in sustaining a Virginia-class nuclear submarine, it's probably going to be about as much as what's involved in a full-cycle docking of a Collins submarine and what would have been involved in the build of the attack class submarine. So it's going to be a huge uh, industrial undertaking, really sort of stretching, I think, Australia's industrial uh, capacity. And that's if we don't do any build here at all. That's if we mm. just focus on the sustainment. So that's a big answer to the debate about Aussie jobs, isn't it? You know, the, regardless of what happens, doing the maintenance and sustainment of eight nuclear submarines and perhaps some of our partners' submarines operating out of Australian facilities, that's going to deliver all the jobs and growth that the combination of the attack class construction and Collins maintenance did. So it's, it's almost a non-issue around will there be enough work for Australian industry out of this. There's, there's probably too much work. Well, I think, you know, Andrew has, you know, generated some really interesting um, construction or delivery options that really sort of provide a, a meaningful range of options balancing, you know, workforce, schedule, you know, cost, and uh, perhaps, you know, Andrew well, could sort I of Well, I think that's, that's a great point because this, this um, the way the nuclear uh, submarine program goes doesn't have to have the same starting assumptions of the government's shipbuilding and submarine program before now. Andrew, you went through a number of options in the report. Um, can you take us through those? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah uh, when we were looking at this, we, there's obviously a number of options that you might regard as being relatively traditional. So looking at, say, maintaining a continuous build in Australia, as um, previously the government had committed to and as part of their Navy plan, uh, as well as looking at a more uh, economic build, that is to try and produce these submarines in Australia at the most economic rate possible. Um, but we also then explored what could you do as part of a more global enterprise, which in a sense the uh, strategic agreement with the UK and the US really lays that foundation. And so in a sense there's some great opportunities there for the long term uh, in the pursuit of that option, as an example. So the continuous build one is what was the plan with the attack class, and it's the same as what's happening in the frigates. Mm. Um, can you just explain how that's different to the economic build? And it's probably about the choices around what's important to you. Is it capability or is it schedule? Yeah, so on a continuous build, construction is going to happen over, say, 30 years, and if you're building eight ships, boats sorry, under, over 30 years, that means you're building one every three or four years. And so in terms of your capability uh, delivery, it's going to take a long time. And the, uh, as Marcus has pointed out uh, in the, previously, uh, the, that's likely to lead to a capability gap as the introduction of new submarines can't keep pace with the uh, phasing out of the old Collins. Yeah, so you start. You have to retire Collins at a faster rate than you're yes. getting uh, the the new nuclear submarine Correct. under continuous build. That's right. It, an economic build is then uh, bringing that build forward. It's uh, producing one boat every eighteen months or two years, 
Uh, and so therefore the program would deliver much faster than a continuous build, it would give you capability much sooner, uh, but also would have would stretch probably the industrial capacity to produce that. So, you know, there's um, some trade-offs or complexities that need to be managed by the government. And the last option that you go into is this idea of a joint submarine enterprise. And to my mind, what you're trying to say in the report is this isn't about creating a separate cottage industry for nuclear submarine production here in Australia. It's not to replicate at a smaller scale what the UK has or at a bigger scale what the US has. Um, it's instead to share Australian, US and UK resources and work with the primary partner to meet their submarine needs and ours across all of the fundamental inputs to capability, not just design and construction of the boats, but workforce, training, facilities mm. design, all of those things. Is yeah, that right. how you think about that? Yeah, that's right. So in a sense, it's a unique opportunity to be part of an entire sort of a global enterprise uh, around the submarine and around all those different elements, the thick elements. So, Marcus, you talked at the start about um, the decision space mm. and the report goes through a number of things. No. Well, is the decision the right one? Um, what are the choices of partners and boat? What's the right construction strategy? What about these fundamental inputs to capability? But do you want to talk just briefly about the trade-offs? You know, what's important? Is it capability? Is it cost? Is it schedule? Is it Australian industry and how that changes things? Yeah, so, the, I mean, the government has quite a few choices here and those choices will def depend on its priorities. So, you know, if, if it is guaranteeing jobs in Adelaide uh, for all eternity, then maybe it will choose a continuous build, but that has the drawbacks that Andrew has spoken about, a very slow delivery. If uh, its priority is to get capability into service quickly, then there's a range of, that leads to some other decisions. So it may be that it has uh, one of the options uh, that Andrew laid out is you'd acquire the first boat or the first two boats overseas uh, to get them into service quickly, potentially in the early 30, so nearly a decade faster than right. if with, it was, with your primary partner. With, with your, yeah, your yeah. primary partner building them. And that would give you time to set up your industry here to do it properly. You know, and and so that there's you know there is choice here. But I think you know the key thing that we can't forget that you know lurking in the background is this schedule imperative. You know, which is driven by our strategic environment. Isn't it's it? I mean, driven that was... by our, our strategic environment, which the government has laid out, I think, very clearly and accurately in the Defence Strategic Update. And that strategic environment is what is driving AUKUS and the SSN decision in the first place. So to me, it seems a little odd if you were going to, you know, set up AUKUS, decide to get SSNs and then make the decision to acquire them in the slowest you know, manner Which, possible. Which, and I think you can already see out of the task force, the nuclear task force's work and the government's driving of that work, that acceleration is what they have in mind. I mean, that's an extremely rapid piece of work to negotiate and sign that nuclear information sharing agreement, you know, within weeks of, mm -hmm. of AUKUS having been signed. So uh, yeah, the so task force is accelerating things. I think they're responding to that guidance and environment. Yeah. So... It is possible, I think, to do things faster. And as you know, some of the options that Andrew's laid out indicate, going faster doesn't mean jobs in Australia get neglected. You, in, in some ways, you can have your cake and eat it as long as you sort of don't restrict yourself to that kind of traditional construction 
approach. So yeah, there, there's a there are yeah. ways to 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 um, you know in a sense make everybody happy here if you're sort of willing to think outside the box. Yes, not a traditional defence project, which is an acquisition focusing with logistics and, and maintenance tagged onto the end, but a, a proper enterprise approach from the start. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now, you can't talk about nuclear submarines and cancelling a you know, $50, $58 billion program without saying, and how much is this going to cost? Now, I, I know in the report you channel the uh, recently departed Donald Rumsfeld with, with, you know, there are known unknowns and unknown unknowns, mm -hmm. but what, what can we say about what this might cost? Uh, well, we've looked at the... Con the cost to construct the submarines, and again, if you say the attack class was in the order of about $58 billion in 2021 sort of constant terms, then we would think if you went for an economic build, those same costs would be between $70 and $80 billion. And if you went for a slower build, uh, that would probably be uh, you know, $80 to $90 billion. So that's roughly the premium. Um, so that's just for just for the construction construction that's an analogous to the attack class. That's right. And so there's a whole lot of things that aren't in that cost estimate. A whole lot of activities. What kinds of activities yes. aren't caught up in that cost? So estimate? we don't know how much work needs to happen at Osborne Shipping Yard if they're going to build it there to be able to construct these submarines, which are much larger than the attack class. Mm -hmm. Marcus already mentioned that, and we don't know. And how that, much sorry, that's true whether it's a UK design yes. or a US design, isn't it? Because yes. both of their, their the designs that would be producible at the time are big. Yes, that's right. There's no small yeah. option here. Yeah, uh, and so even just the ability of the concrete there to withstand the weight of the blocks, the mega blocks, mm. and the super blocks mm. uh, is needs to be uh, investigated. Additionally. These boats are longer, so there's wharving, but there's also there's a whole range of other infrastructure-type costs to do with training facilities and all that sort of stuff. And that's just one of those fix. There's the whole yes. training program, setting all that up, the sustainment side of things. Well, there's training for the crews. <laughs> there's training for the maintainers as well. That's right. And there's training for the regulators and a whole different regulatory machine to be, to be constructed. Yeah, yeah, I think that's one of the sort of known unknowns is that we know that we don't know what that regulatory overhead is or that sort of nuclear overhead. You yeah. know, we haven't done it before. So, you know, that's going to be really important for the task force that's, you know, looking at how to establish the SSN capability to really understand to, you know, so we know roughly what we're getting into before we go down this path. But, you know, I'll just reiterate what Andrew was saying there is that the overhead is going to be enormous. You know, it's not just the submarine. So we've tried in the report to say, to put in some photos of, of you know the maintenance being done on American uh, nuclear submarines, and they're done in enormous dry docks. You mm. know we've got one dry dock in, in the Australia. Middle of Sydney yeah, Harbour. It's in the middle of Sydney yeah. Harbour. You're not going to be doing it there. So yeah. just the 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 infrastructure you need not not just to build them or to operate them, but for the deep maintenance is yes. also going to be billions and billions of dollars. Yeah. Now, just to finish this, um, I wanted just to to say uh, to get you to say. Why isn't this just a beauty pageant between Astute and Virginia? You know, they're, so they're, they're building the Astute now and they're building um, Virginia Block 4 and Block 5. Why, why shouldn't we just choose one of these boats and say let's get on with the job? Well, it, well, I can, in my view, 
you know, and again, I don't want this to be primarily about which boat, but I'm not sure astute is even an option anymore at this point. So, you know, the UK system has got not a lot of capacity. And so they have, they're finishing the construction of the last two astute boats now. They've started construction of their future SSBN, so their ballistic missile submarines. Mm -hmm. Those submarines have a new, different, bigger reactor to the astute class boats. The, the, U the UK system essentially launches one boat every three years, okay? And so they are focused on building the first reactors for the SSBNs. For us to come along and say, we want to build astutes, somehow they have to develop the capacity not just to double their output of reactors and all of the other mm -hmm. components, but they somehow have to return production to an earlier reactor that they've right. seen. Make, make the older reactor design and do all the industrial engineering and production for that at the same time as they've already shifted to the new so, one. So if we yeah. were to pick the Astute or in, indeed any UK boat, they have to double their industrial capacity. Now, when if, it comes if, to if the we go Virginia... With the US, sorry, the US is currently producing two SSNs and one will be doing one nuclear boat. So essentially three boats a year. So it's a lot easier for us to piggyback onto that with our demand of roughly one boat every two or three years, I think they have much greater capacity to surge to meet our needs than the UK does. You know, and again, we don't have the whole picture, but that's sort of mm. our early assessment. But would you even buy the Virginia Block 4? Because won't that have the same problems of buying the astute rather than the new UK design? Well, so Andrew, where do you think the, U the US will be in, in about 10 years' time? Well, it'll, uh, it won't be building the, uh, for, the Block 4 because uh, that's basically uh, not new, no new boats are going to be built from yeah. now on. It's moved to Block 5. Um, they're moving to a Block 6 by the time that we're thinking about getting a uh, submarine if we were to go down that traditional path. Uh, and there's a lot of talk in the US about moving to a substantially different design as well, which yes. could be much larger and obviously much more yeah, capable. The, the apex predator. That's yeah. right. So. Yeah. So, I mean, this all brings us back to the start point of your report and the, the defining question in the report, which is uh, it's not which boat, it's which is the primary partner uh, and how are we going to work with them? Are we going to work with them to establish our own cottage industry? or are we going to work with them as our enduring enterprise partner? Um, I, I hope that this report uh, really uh, empowers the public debate and maybe is of some use to the extremely busy people in the, in the Nuclear Submarine Task Force in setting out some of these issues in a, in a really coherent way. And I think that the fabulous thing about the report is it makes it intelligible uh, while dealing with a whole lot of complexity. And it does give the government a sense of the kinds of choices that they have. So thank you both. That's a wrap on Policy, Guns and Money for 2021. We hope you've enjoyed the podcast and welcome any feedback you might have. We look forward to bringing you more analysis in 2022. Thanks for listening.